Hi, I'm Bethany Dawson and welcome to My Classic Soul, the podcast dedicated to the best soul and R&B music throughout the decades. In our latest episode, soulmusic.com founder David Nathan and distinguished entertainment journalist Janine Coveney, former R&B music editor at Billboard magazine, discuss the 1975 groundbreaking album We Got By, which introduced the unique artistry of the late Al Jarreau. David and Janine share about the album, which was essentially unlike any other major label debut by a new artist at the time, showcasing Al's distinctive style and how he used his voice virtually as an instrument. So let's join David and Janine as they express their clear enthusiasm for We Got By. Welcome, uh, Janine, my good friend, colleague Janine Coveney. Uh, to my classic soul. How are you today? I'm good, David. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good and excited about our topic. Yes. Al Jarreau. Al Jarreau. Wow. Wow. Uh, and, and, you know, we, when we were looking at well, which album from the, you know, quite substantial Al Jarreau catalog to focus on, uh, we agreed to do his first album for um for warner's reprise which was uh, we got by and um you know it, it gave me an opportunity once we selected this to go back and listen to it in its entirety and i now remember why i was so blown away when i first heard it and um uh, so that's the first thing i want to say about it and i do want to talk about my first son meeting al which was around the, the release of this album uh, when I did an interview with him. But before we get to that, uh, what's your first uh, thought? What are your first thoughts, Janine, about Al Jarreau as an artist and then about this specific album? Well, Al Jarreau is a one-of-a-kind artist. Um, there have many who have tried to come and kind of echo what he does, but he is the true original. And I remember this album specifically for that reason, because I, you know, I grew up in a household where people were fond of jazz and we had a lot of traditional vocal jazz and I knew scatting and I knew instruments, but I had never heard anybody who did both at the same time imitating instruments with his voice, um, it, uh, particularly percussions, horns, his uh, phrasing, just the s- sound of his voice was stunning. So this album is, is really a landmark, you know? So I'm glad yeah. we're talking about it today. Me too. And, and you know, I want, I want again, as a reference back to my first time meeting him uh, around the release of this album, and it was a time when I was living in Los Angeles for six months because a correspondent for Blues and Soul. And one of the first times in my entire life, Al, I had an artist come to my apartment. So I lived at um, I lived at sixteen thirty five North Formosa in Hollywood, and um, uh, set up the interview with I think um, the person that. But one of us was a lady called Benita Brazier. She was the publicist. Oh, wow. And um, Al Jarreau came to my flat in, 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 in Hollywood uh, with his manager at the time, Patrick Raines, who actually 
was his manager for most of his career. In fact, I think the entire entirety of his career. And I remember, um, you know, they, they were in there. I don't know how old Patrick was, but I don't know Al was probably in his like early thirties or mid thirties. And okay. um, yeah, and this is like nineteen seventy five, and um, I can even picture them sitting on the sofa and you know me Tokyo. This was the days I didn't tape interviews. It was the good old fashioned taking notes. And he was a little shy. I mean, he was kind of like, yeah, I could tell this isn't something you'd been doing a lot. And um, it was a great conversation uh, in which he was very open and, and about how um, challenging it, he knew it was going to be to promote the album and to, to have the album heard by people because it was different. It wasn't like anything that I could think of that came before it. And uh, he had already become like, at the time that we did the interview, he had already become, sort of become like a, 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 the critics darling, like people, critics, mm -hmm. you know, music critics, um, reviewers were already raving about him. And, and so were the Warner Brothers staff. I mean, they realized this is, there was not just another art. This isn't just some other hit. Someone who's just trying to have a hit. It was really like a piece of art, and um, I just remember from from the you know hearing we got by the song we got by. I'm like, wow, you know this is different. And you know I, he wrote all the songs. He you know th those vocal parts are all Al Jarreau, you know tracking you know doing everything. And, and and you know I'm thinking you know when I go further forward. I think about uh, another group that also was on the same record label that in the same way, many decades, a few decades, several decades later, also had the same impact, which was Take Six. Yes. Yeah, the whole idea of allowing an artist to fully be an artist, even though they don't neatly fit into a category. So that was a lot. Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things that he mm -hmm. said in that interview. But before we get to that, Let's hear from you, Janine. So you you mentioned that you were aware of the album. You heard it in your in your in the ha in the household. Um, is there is there a particular song or songs that immediately resonated with you? Well, I think not just for me, but probably for everyone was "We Got By," because that song really speaks to a kind of. I don't want to call it a hard scrabble existence, but everybody has, you know, there's there are times of growing up without and, and doing without, and it's it's a beautiful survival story of growing up. It's just unique because he does it lyrically with. I mean, the lyrics aren't extensive, right? So um, he paints this picture of. You know, uh, growing up and wanting a bicycle and walking from the movie theater and just all of these things that everyone can relate to, and um, and not only did the lyrics, his performance of it is so affecting and stunning. I mean, it's it's literally once you hear it, you you don't forget it. Really, absolutely, absolutely. And you, you know, it's interesting also, Jimmy. I was thinking as you were talking about that. Um, you know, how um, probably challenging it would have been uh, initially to figure out how to, how, 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 how is this kind of music? And even that song, 
Where is it going to get played? What radio stations are going to play it? I mean, it's just not quite, it doesn't fit neatly into anything, but it's just a great piece of art. And I keep coming back to this, um, the thoughts about uh, Al Jarreau as, a, as, a, as an artist and as a, you know, on this album, you know, as the songwriter and the, doing it so much. I mean, this is like quintessential. He's a poet. He's a jazz um, improvisationalist. He he's an instrumentalist. He's an arranger. He's a percussionist. Yeah. He, you know he he's almost like a a folk. I don't want to call him a folk artist, but I feel like there's some sort of kinship between what he was doing. And kind of what Bill Withers did in a way, because just kind of lifting that kind of earthy, deep from the soul, but not the same kind of soul music that we knew from Memphis and Detroit, though he could go there. But sort of this inherent um, earthy kind of folksy uh, style. Yeah, Yeah, but elevated. Right. Yeah. There's a word that people uh, sometimes re- use um, in, in a different in a different context. Uh, uh, yeah, we say storyteller. He's a storyteller. But I, I I like the word griot. Griot. Yeah. 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 I think that kind of sums up Al Jarreau's take now. And everyone's going to have to rush to their dictionary. Those who don't know what griot is, spelled G-R-I-O-T, not G-R-I-O. <laughs> and, you know, it's really about someone who's an observer and, uh, of life and, 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 and puts that into some form, whether it's um, writing, well, really it's usually writing or spoken or spoken. It's usually um, verbal. A griot yeah, exactly. is somebody who it's usually carries down a history exactly. uh, verbally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing that's interesting about, uh, about uh, the Bill Withers reference that you made is prior to um, signing to, to reprise and, and making this, first album for a major label he actually had recorded uh, a whole album of bill Withers songs they it was for an independent label of course subsequent to his success uh to Algero's success the album came out in different forms and later in the cd age it came out under different titles but it was actually bill uh Algero singing singing bill withers so you're like right on when you make that uh, connection very interesting, mm. Janine. Very astute. So uh, let's talk more about the album um, and the fact it was produced by Al Schmidt, who um, was um, one of the most key producers and, and engineers at Warner Brothers for many years. Yep. Um, mostly, I think, known for, for doing jazz, working with jazz artists. Um, and... Uh, uh, the songs, there's so many songs. I, I, we, we, it might end up talking about everyone, but the one, the one that I, I always kind of go back to. I mean, we got by yes, but the one I love, I love. See if you can guess which one it is. There are two actually. It's not just one, but one in particular. I, I don't want to try to guess, but Susan's song. Nope. Or um, let's no. see. Let me, oh, let me, let me. I know, I know what it is. What is it? It is um, the uh, pumpkin pie. Uh, Sweet potato pie. Sweet potato pie. That's it. Yes. <laughs> Which I love. Well, I didn't actually know anything about sweet potato pie. That's why that I mean the actual the, the actual you know pie itself because mm-hmm. coming from England I know we didn't have any kind of 
sweet potato pie or pumpkin pie or any kind of pie like that. So, um, you know, it, it, it's very much an American dish, you know, sweet potato pie. And, 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 but I love, the, I love the song. And I don't, I, I'd love to make some story up about how I heard the song and then I rushed out and bought some sweet potato pie, but that wouldn't be true. But I just love the song and it's kind of the rhythm and the whole kind of, it's playful. It's, you know, it's really, you know, the thing about Aljo too is that we mentioned playful. And that's one of the things I love about his work. It was, it could be deep. I mean, spirit, the song Spirit, which is the other one of my favorites on this album. You know, it, 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 that's a great, it's a great first song on the album. I mean, a great way to start an album. Um, and um, so there's some deepness. I mean, it's not all, you know, sweet potato pie. <laughs> but that, you know, Susan's song that you mentioned, Susan's song, of course, is about uh, the woman who is his wife. Yes. And, and yeah, so so um, I, I don't know if she was married to him before th- he wrote the song. I, I don't know that. It doesn't, looking in the interview, he doesn't reference that particularly. But she, I think she was essentially his life partner. And I, rem- I remember yeah. meeting her many, many years later. And um, she was like his rock, really. And, yeah. but, but yeah, but there's, so there's deepness, you know. Yeah, another another wonderful yeah. songs that I love is Letter Perfect. Yes. Letter Perfect, do you, it, it, which has wonderful lyrics. Um and I and I noticed he does an amazing live version of this on the live double album that he recorded in Europe I think in 77. London. London. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um <sighs> A lot of the songs on here, not all of them, but I realized in listening to it again, there's a lot of songs about not being seen, uh, of needing someone to recognize him as he stands right in front of them. And Letter Perfect is about that. It's about talking to a, a young lady who won't acknowledge that he's there ready to love her. And, mm. and there's, there's more than one song in which he mentions blindness or or not being seen. In fact, the song "You Don't You Don't See, see Me," me. Yes. yeah, which is the it's other song that. that I yeah, the other song I was going to say. That's really totally one of my favorites. I, mean, I can I can hear it in my head. I mean, I don't have to think about the song title. I mean, as I think about the song title, I can hear the song in my head. Um, and just it's, it's, it's a kind of a joy in it, but it, it's kind of you know it's. I'm trying to demonstrate the kind of mo- the groove of it, you know, but just really, and, but that also a song that I think really shows his skills as a, as a, as a, uh, someone who could take, who, who he had his own vocalese, you know, his own vocal, yes. vocalese is really the word I would want to use for Aljo. I mean, he really wasn't like anyone else. You can say, oh, well, Aljo sounds like, you know, just that whole inventiveness, that kind of scatting, but it's it's not scatting really. It's kind of, I don't know, it's it's Jeroism. It's made up a song, a word. I mean, and and you, you mentioned something in this, and even though that particular song, there, there's kind of a poignancy to it because the song is really expressing a kind of desperation about being overlooked but in it he he is echoing the instrumental lines and the rhythms through his 
breathing and he can be the bass and he can be the horns. But in listening to this again, I was struck by, I think you just mentioned the, the joy of his performance. He's, he's unfettered, you know what I mean? Like he just goes to the mic and he lets it loose. And I think in this album in particular, I think because at this point he was very much known as a uh, stage artist. He, he'd been performing a lot on stage and I think he really brought that into the studio, that inventiveness. And I feel like there was a kind of a rawness to his vocal when he started his recording career. I feel like it might've gotten a little smoother as he went on in his recording mm -hmm. career. He kind of honed his abilities to do all the mm -hmm. same things that he's doing here. But in this recording, there's a, a little bit of a rawness to his voice and he just like, let's it rip you know yeah 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 well i just i was just going back to the interview um yes i want to hear about that there you go i don't know if you can see it's got backwards i suppose on the screen but anyway uh and the, the title of the interview is brand new star and it came out in december of 1975 in blues and soul magazine and the interview he and I, he and i had done i think it was like october maybe October, something like that, September, probably October. And, and one of the things he says is uh, about specifically about one of the challenges um, with the release of the album. He says, um, and this is a, quote, it's a direct quote, we are trying to encompass all fields because my music doesn't really fit into one particular category. And that is reflected in the kind of dates I've been doing uh, we played with Grover Washington Jr. in New York, and then we worked with acts like the Persuasions. The Persuasions, of course, an a, a cappella group. Uh, the yeah. problem seems to come in getting airplay because progressive radio, that was the name of a particular uh, you know, uh, format, radio format at the time, um, haven't really picked up on the album, although it is true to say that once people see the act, see the show, um, they are more attuned to what we're doing and exactly the point you were making. Uh, uh, and, and in fact, going back to the history, to his history prior to the, to the release of the album and having been signed to the label, uh, it, it was one of those uh, old fashioned stories, you know, of, um, he was performing at a, a lot at a club in, in North Hollywood called, called Cafe Blah Blah. I think it's called Blah Blah. That's what it says here. Blah Blah. Yes. And then, but it was actually as an opening act for, support act, as we called it in Britain, for Les McCann at the Troubadour. Troubadour, famous Troubadour in, in Hollywood. Um, and um, that it was there that um, Mo Austin, as I, I quote, Mo Austin, one of Warner Brothers' chiefs, heard me and decided he wanted me to, he wanted me for the label. Fortunately, we had been prepared for when a record deal might come along and so, that we had already contacted the producer, Al Schmidt, who happened to be someone working at Warner Brothers. Uh, so he says, consequently, we were more or less left completely alone to work on the album, mm -hmm. uh, something which is particularly unusual nowadays when companies sign new acts. Let's talk about 1975. And that's true. Yeah. I mean, the idea of giving someone free reign, you can write all the songs, you know, the producer, yeah, someone will produce it, but really basically just go for it. Well, and it was all based on live performance. 
So you're absolutely correct, Ginny. I think he, he, you know, it was the live performance element that led to him even signing the deal, mm-hmm. you know, have, having a contract. Um, and I think that's probably why some of the his success um, subsequent to We Got By was with, you mentioned a live album, Live, live in London. Um, and I think it was called Look to the Rainbow. I have to look up the title of it. But anyway, it's called live. Maybe called "Look to the Rainbow." But let's while we're while we're uh, while we're checking that, let's uh, talk some more about uh, some some of the other songs on there that that really made a difference for you personally. Let's pause for a quick break. Then we'll return to David Nathan and Janine Coveney as they continue to talk about the legendary Algero and how "We Got By" established him as an artist who defied categorization. Now on Soul Music Records in association with Platinum Garage Recordings, Preston Glass presents Love and Compassion, Volume 3. The third volume of the successful Preston Glass Presents Love and Compassion digital album series, continuing the positive messages of the previous two volumes. It includes guest artists Larry Graham, Chubby Tavares, Debbie Sledge, Robin S., and The Temptations' Ron Tyson. Preston Glass Presents Love and Compassion, Volume 3, is out now on all digital platforms. All you teach is time to teach a new way. Maybe then they'll listen to what you have to say. Okay. I think in addition to we got by, um, there's there's so many different stylistic notes on this album that show that Al is, as you say, he, he almost can't be pigeonholed. I mean, he's, he's a jazz artist, but he has some tracks on here that almost feel, um, I don't know, like, like a hymn, like the last track on the album, Mm. I find really, um, affecting i think it's i think it's aladdin's lamp mm-hmm. yes yes um yes it, yes it really shows off his dynamic range you almost have to strain to hear what he's saying mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you you know we've come to know al as somebody who can scat and da-ba-da-da-da, you know whatever it is he does and but Come on, Jimmy, do some more of that do some more of that <laughs> <laughs> no i don't even know why i did that um but he he brings it way down low mm. on on this track, and it leave the words kind of leave you trying to figure out what it's about. And the other thing about this album, I notice is that on a couple of tracks, it says that he plays flute, but I think it's more effective to say that he sings through yeah. the flute. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is yeah. A, another really unique skill and a unique sound. So um, it, yeah. it's just astonishing on multiple levels. Whatever yeah. track you pick, you're going to get something that rivets your ears. Like I love "Lock All the Gates." I wanted to ask you about. I wanted to ask you about "Lock All the Gates." 
yeah. So what, what, when you when you hear that, what what is what is what does the song mean to you? That song. Oh gosh, um, I feel like it's about another love that got away. Hmm. I don't. I don't okay. know. What's your take on it? Well, I kind of similar. Similar. I actually can't find it. Look, look. But I'm not. I'm not sure I fully understand what the song's about. I know he saw the stars within her arms, but he was blind. Yeah, I mean it's very, it's very, it's kind of poetic. It's got, it's got, it's very poetic. poetic. But it's also got this kind of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's um, obtuse. No, not obtuse. Um, it, yeah, it, it, I know what you're saying. It's, yeah, it's um, vague. Well, but the, mm. the instrumentation itself has this really sort of epic, like a theme feel mm -hmm. to it. So we we know he's saying something important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah, that was uh, you know to get, to get the, the other song that I really I like I, I very much like on here is Raggedy Ann. Yeah, which is kind of like. Yeah, I had to think about. I was listening. You know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. In preparation for this, uh, for our conversation, uh, about a week ago, I was um, I was um, going to an appointment. One of the few times they let me out these days because we're in lockdown. And let me say, let me out because I, I've locked out, not because of like. Yeah. I'm not imprisoned. You're in captivity. <laughs> although, although in one sense, I don't have to ask them to lock all the gates. They've already been locked. <laughs> anyway, I was uh, you know, walking down the street and getting some exercise and listening to um, um, the album. And uh, I remember, I, I, for some reason, Raggedy Ann, I don't know why I didn't remember it originally, but I just, re it really kind of, there's something about the song just kind of, um, uh, it, it, it affected me. I can't quite know how, I don't have to verbalize it. I, I really... Yeah, there was something about it. It just made me I kind of like take my I head a little bit, like, you know, like, wow, yeah. I Does feel like sense? it's his performance on it because, once again, he has, like, this amazing breath control with his ad-libs and his improvisations, and it's, it's a funky song about a funky girl that he met, and he just keeps up the pressure on the rhythm uh -huh. and again another amazing performance i don't yes. know how strong the song is as a song it's lyrically. really more the, it's more the kind of yeah the that of it yeah <laughs> he puts Whatever the there is. there you know david he puts the there there all right then i like that i like that um by the way just to reference back or you were talking about his live version of which was the song you mentioned that you really loved the live version in europe was letter it perfect. Um, letter perfect yeah so that was on a, a, his uh two albums after that he recorded a whole album in europe i thought it was in london but it was actually in different places in europe and i want to say something about that one of the things that was astonishing to me uh was how quickly uh, European audiences uh, took to Al Jarreau. I mean, it didn't in one sense surprise me because I know that um, British audiences and, and European audiences in general have often been, um, I want to say this politely, ahead of the, ahead of the, uh, ahead of the game in terms of spotting the artistry 
of some of the greatest American uh, American singers, songwriters, and and performers. I mean, I, I mean, this is a whole tradition of it goes way back to you know Billie Holiday and and, yeah. and Josephine Baker and people who were really women in particular. I'm thinking of those women, but also later Nina Simone. Long before they were really, really embraced on a mainstream level um, in in their home countries. In some in some cases, they moved. Of course, as you know, um, Josephine Baker lived in France, and Nina lived in France. And but you know, the thing is that Al Jarreau, um was embraced. I mean, the fact that I, I, it, by British audiences, I mean, and it wasn't just jazz audiences. It was this kind of thing. He's a real artist. We had this thing, and we. Don't know so much we have it now, but we did back then. You know, this is, you know, we would talk about someone being a consummate artist. You know, Roberta Flack falls into that same category, um, you know, uh, and, and it's interesting because it wasn't about whether they had hits or not. It was their artistry. Yes. And, 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 and you know, the fact that he made an, a live album in Europe relatively early into his co- recording career, like two years after uh uh, after We Got By came out. Uh, and I rem- I do remember, you know, people you're saying, you know, of course, the first time they read about him, thankfully, it was in Blues and Soul. You know, they heard, first read it. They first read it here. But anyway, the point being that, um, that thank you, that people did, you know, they, they did really um, uh, listen to the music and, 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 and admire that, that his skills. And I, I did see Al perform. I don't remember how soon after this, uh, actually, it wasn't that long after we did the interview. I think we, the, yeah, I know when I saw him perform. It was in the early months of 1976 uh, when I was still living in Los Angeles. But um, Warner Brothers had this uh, uh, this concert tour or concert, I don't know, tour or concert uh, series at the Beacon Theater in New York, and it was called "The Orange Meets the Apple." And it was all that it was all their uh, black music artists, as they called it at the time. Ashlyn Simpson, Dion, Dion Warwick, um, First Choice, uh, the Staple Singers, Curtis Mayfield, The Impressions, and Al Jarreau were all on these three nights at the Beacon Theater. And I think that might have been my first time seeing him in person. And it was, you know, I mean. I don't know how they sequenced the show, but I'm sure it was tough to decide where to put out Jarreau because it was kind of didn't quite fit, you know, with any of those other ones at all in terms of music, uh, but just um, very mesmerizing as a as a as a performer. One of the things I always I don't know why this image is always with me of Al Jarreau holding a um, what is that instrument? It's like a it's not it's a a shaker like a. a, a Oh, like the gourd. Do you remember the first first time you saw Al Jarreau perform? I do not, because as you know, being a journalist, I I think I was I was more a business journalist than a fan journalist. So so even though I was a, a fan of Al Jarreau, I don't have a clear memory of the first time that I saw him, but I I have seen him 
multiple times. I, I know I've seen him at least five or six times, but yes. this would have been, you know, mid career. I'm talking about the nineties into the two thousands. Yes. Um, I remember interviewing him um, in Palm Springs, California, in a dining wow. room and just having a w wide ranging talk with him. I've spoken to him on the phone to multiple times. And as you probably know, mm -hmm. Al Jarreau is a talker. <laughs> he yeah. is shy when you first met him, but so that's 1975 when he was just kind of exactly kinda feeling his way through how's he gonna deal with the media and da 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 da. Yeah. He loves to talk and philosophize and theorize and it's it's fun talking to him because he, he could be really personable. I just remember as in the later part of my career, when I was no longer at Billboard, I was actually mm. working for a syndicated radio service. And a part of my um, duties was smooth jazz and getting sound bites. And it was very difficult to <laughs> edit down something short that could go out on the air because Al could be very long-winded. But that's just a little tidbit about I him personally. He was it. a fantastic artist, um, yes. always. Yeah. Yes. Well, I want to I want to close our, our our great conversation about the um, iconic Al Jarreau, really iconic. Um, um, by reading you verbatim the last paragraph of this article. Okay. If you haven't had the opportunity to check out Al's album, we urge you, this is me speaking in the royal we as a journalist, we urge you as to, as soon as possible, you'll discover a highly distinct young stylist who is certainly destined for big things in the future. And by checking him out now, no one will be able to accuse you of jumping on the bandwagon when Al becomes the major talent he is destined to be. Prophetic words. That's right, because Mr. Giroux has had an impeccable career. Maybe not the career that he wanted, but for the artist that he was, I think he got his flowers while he was with us. And I don't know anybody who doesn't appreciate yes. um, what he gave us uh, yes. artistically and personally. Yes. Amen. Amen. So thank you for having me to talk about one of our favorite artists and this really seminal album, this breakthrough album for him. Yes. We got by and we are still getting by. Thankfully. <laughs> All right, Geneva, as always, great speaking with you uh, for My Classic Soul. And I look forward to our next conversation. Absolutely. Thank you, David. All right. Take care now. Bye bye. Stay safe as well. Thanks, David and Janine. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favourite podcast platform and visit us for groundbreaking news and daily updates about your favourite soul and R&B artists over at soulmusic.com. I'm Bethany Dawson. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on My Classic Soul. <laughs>